Okay, hi, hi everybody. Um, I hope you can all hear me all right. And welcome to this thesis chat with Jen Raimondo. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, talking with her about the thesis that she's only just recently completed. Um, I'll introduce in a moment exactly what's gonna happen. And um, if you have any questions that you think of as you go along, pop them into the question box for me. And uh, when we come to the end, I will have a look and uh, if there's time, I will pick out some of those questions and throw them at Jen and see what she makes of them. So Jen, you all set to go? I think so. Okie dokie. So everybody, uh, this is my fabulous and fantastic student, Jen, um, with whom I've had the privilege of working for the last couple of semesters on her thesis. Uh, and it's on a very interesting aspect of Tolkien that I hadn't spent a lot of time on before now. So this has been a really spectacularly interesting process for me as well, because I've learned so much more about the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers, thanks to Jen. Um, now, hopefully you will all have a chance to read Jen's thesis at some point. I highly recommend that you do. Uh, but hopefully this question and answer session will whet your appetite a little bit for what it is that she has been doing. So without further ado then, Jen, let's get cracking. And what I'd like to start off with, if this is okay, could you start us off by just giving us a really brief overview of your thesis and explain for us a little bit about why you chose that particular topic? Yeah, um, so the original idea of going into my thesis was I want to work with The Lost Road. Um, and The Lost Road is a uh, text fragment that Tolkien left us. Um, it's a time travel uh, story and I wanted to work with it um, because it's set in the <clears throat> Tolkien's modern day and uh, talks very straightforwardly about death. And Tolkien once said in one of his letters that death is the meta-narrative basically of all of his works. Um, and so I was I was really curious how that played into The Lost Road. Um, and then eventually I realized I needed to be looking at the Notion Club papers too. So my thesis ended up becoming about Tolkien's time travel fragments. Um, so, that was the, I guess that provided the structure, well, the content of my thesis. And then going further into that, I wanted to see how Tolkien talks about mortality in this very um, open way in the time travel fragments. So how does, how does he talk about mortality and then apply it to mortals? Um, so that ended up being what my thesis was about after taking away a lot. Okay. Um, so what I found really interesting throughout our discussions is the fact that I think it would be fair to say that there's not been that much academic work done on the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers. Why do you think that's so? Yeah. Um, there are a few reasons, and then I'll give an anecdote that kind of illustrates another reason. Uh, so first, as I mentioned, the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers are both uh, fragments. They're not finished. They weren't published until Christopher Tolkien came along and printed them uh, buried in the middle of the History of Middle-earth series. Um, so they're not really accessible. Um, and that they're fragmented means that it's hard to do scholarship on them because you don't know where Tolkien was going with the story. Um, you don't know totally what his structure was going to be. Uh, you don't know what the moral of the story ultimately was going to be, what the ending of the story was. And it's very hard to unpack a text that you don't know uh, those those basic things about, um, whether from a structural perspective or from a more ideological content related perspective. So um, that's another reason I think it's unstudied. 
and then also it's just not what people expect when they come to Tolkien. People who come to Tolkien want um, elves and hobbits and that's what they expect. Um, but what we get at the beginning of The Lost Road and the Notion Club papers are a bunch of Oxford professors in Oxford talking about how much they hate academia. Like, you know, so it's it's not a typical Tolkien. Um, so I think for those reasons, accessibility, fragmentation, and um, just it just not what you expect. Um, the the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers aren't really studied, but there's another reason why, and um, it came out when I was speaking with Verlin Flieger about this uh, at a conference once. She was really helpful in encouraging me to, to start this project. Um, but when I first came to her with the idea uh, that I wanted to work with the Lost Road, she's like, her, her, her immediate response was, but why? There's nothing more to say about it. Christopher Tolkien annotated it. What what else can you do with that fragment? He never finished it. Um, and as I talked to her more about my ideas of mortality and just how there's so much in the text that modern day readers aren't familiar with and really need to um, be told what Tolkien is talking about uh, in order to even understand the text, um, that she started to to see where I was coming from and, and you could see the fireworks going off in her brain, like, oh, and you could talk about this and this and that and, and pull that in from over here. But it, it took a while to even just consider the text because mm -hmm. of just the, the, the fragmented nature and the fact that Christopher Tolkien has already dealt with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, so you just mentioned the delight of, of having a chat with Verlin Flieger, who is absolutely wonderful. Yes, uh, yes. But you also had the privilege of working with Professor Tom Shippey as your second reader for this project. What was it like working with him and how did he help you to shape your thesis? Yes, um, well, I was, like you said, I was really blessed to have those conversations with Verlin and she's a mentor at heart. And when I started working with Dr. Shippey, I saw that in a different style, he was very much the same way. I came in obviously super intimidated um, because of all the scholarship he has done. And um, I just, I was, I froze. I didn't know exactly what to say, <laughs> obviously over email. Um, but he, he honestly was a darling, like through the whole process. And because of a variety of things, I was able to dialogue with him for about a year before even <clears throat> formally starting work on the project. So it was just this this pretty relaxed back and forth that he that he he set the tone for um, about what was in the text and what his experiences were in a, in a context that's a lot more similar to the text context than I'm ever familiar with. I mean, he's he's British. He's been a professor in England. Um, he has a lot of the similar roots that Tolkien had, like the, the Birmingham connection and all that. So uh, working with him was very important to my thesis process. Um, he provided guidance as to which topics to talk about. Um, he gave me a few fair warnings about rabbit holes to not go down. Um, and some of them are really central to what I was originally thinking of for the thesis. So, uh, but as I followed his advice, I realized that of course he was totally in the right. Um, and then, so, so guidance about which topics to pursue and which not, then he suggested further topics and he provided a lot of reading material that ended up being central to the thesis as it is now. Um, yeah. Can you give us a few examples, specific examples of um, yeah. critics that he guided you towards uh, or specific texts that he suggested? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the ideas he guided me away from was I really wanted to do this Cambridge critics comparison um, and, and get into Cambridge Oxford politics and 
he's like, those just don't, they don't matter anymore. <laughs> no, he didn't say it that way. But um, that was a really good mess to avoid. And then instead, he'd come along with specific suggestions like, why don't you focus on the cultural context of, of Tolkien's work, the uh, interwar context, the familial context that was going on um, in culture. He recommended Martin Green's Children of the Sun, which explores a lot about manhood and fatherhood uh, in, in Tolkien's era. And even though that didn't make it uh, overtly into my thesis, it provided a, a very important perspective as I approached the texts. Um, and then a work that he suggested that provided the foundation, I would say, for um, my work in the thesis was uh, Brian Stableford's uh, British Scientific Romance. Um, that, that helped me set up the genre structure for the texts that then I used for the thesis. Um, and without that, I like my thesis as it now is would not exist. So he was incredibly important in in shaping this. Okay, thank you. Um, right, let's get down to some specifics about your thesis itself. Then, um, what would you say is um, the most central argument within your thesis? The most important one, and why? Yes. Um, there was a lot I had to pare down from, <laughs> uh, but there was always this core idea that guided me throughout this uh, outlining process. Um, and it was basically that I kept seeing in these, these two texts how Tolkien was joining a conversation about mortality that was central to his time, central to the genre he was dealing with. Um, it, it was a conversation completely appropriate to his day. And most of us think of Tolkien as you know, an, an, out, an out of tune, you know, backwards looking writer, even even his fans are think that he's part of his appeal is his archaicism. But in, in these works, he's joining a very relevant conversation. Um, so that he's talking about mortality as a relevant part of his time, but then coming at it with a completely different response than mm. what is that than what was common in this conversation. So while people are trying to extend life and avoid mortality, he's coming in with this idea of no, let's think about mortality differently and embrace it. Uh, so it's it's the main point of the thesis is Tolkien is dealing with a contemporary conversation in a totally different way. And that's something I'm finding is just very Tolkien, like that's what he did. Um, so that that I think is the main thrust of the thesis. Okay, at the start of this chat, you made the point that philology and the study of philology was quite central to this thesis. Um, so how did philology become a part of that particular argument that you just talked about? Yeah, um, I think anything that you deal with in the Tolkien world is going to involve philology, philology because Tolkien was a philologist and not just as a career, but as who he was. Um, so it was a matter of course addressing these texts that philology was going to play a role in how he dealt with mortality. Um, but in a much more uh, specific way, both fragments have protagonists who are philologists. Like these stories are about 20th century Oxford philologists. And I think there's a Cambridge one too. Um, yeah, so philology had to be part of it because Tolkien created the story that way, that it's through philology that these characters are traveling back in time and discovering things about themselves and about the way the world works. It's through language shifts and um, finding fragments of texts from centuries ago and then comparing them uh, with 
further texts found in modern texts, and it's it's in this uh, philological world that Tolkien is able to move the plot forward and reach mortality. So philology is really the vehicle um, for Tolkien to reach his discussion about mortality. And so my thesis is second point is all about how Tolkien used philology in his academic and creative work apart mm -hmm. from the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers. Um, because whenever he talks about philology or uses philology in those academic and creative contexts, I find him approaching mortality. So I took, I, I, I worked out kind of a Tolkien methodology uh, of philology in relation to relationship uh, with mortality and then brought it back to the two texts mm -hmm. because he does that explicitly then in the last road in the Notion Club papers. Oh, okay. Can you give us a few specific examples of where he's doing that then? Uh, sure. Um, so a more general specific example is that he uses, um, especially in his notes, because remember these are fragments, uh, he uses translations of poems that he's written but are based off, based on real uh, Imrama and stuff like that. Uh, so just just that, that he's using translations of poems he's created that are about finding the islands that go back to mortality, that finding Atlantis essentially, um, is one way that he uses the philological approach to the plot of his text. But there are really um, uh, sweet instances in the texts. Uh, for example, in the Notion Club papers, there there are some really long scenes that and that are, that can get pretty technical where Loudham, the philological character in in the Notion Club papers is is storming into these um, Notion Club meetings with uh, texts that he's jotted down. Um, of languages far gone that nobody knows um, but are apparently somehow related to Anglo-Saxon. So he works out uh, this whole lexicon of how to translate these texts, what these words mean, and then he does comparative philology for the reader um, in the meeting itself. Like, uh, okay, so this this word is translated this way from that language and that way from that language, and are these languages related or not? And how do these different concepts fit together to create this this word? And what does the English translation then how does that cast light onto the word itself? And then as he's talking about this and doing comparative philology um, and, and noting all the sound shifts and, and stuff like that, what he's describing, the word he's describing, the concept and picture he's describing comes alive in the Oxford flat, like the Atlantis wave hits his dorm, basically. And that was such a, a poignant example of, of how tangible philology was for Tolkien. Like it came alive in the story because that's kind of how it came alive for him in his work. Um, so, yeah. Okay, um, there's actually a couple of questions that come up in the question box that are really closely linked to what you've just been talking oh. about. So I'm actually gonna bring those in as kind of follow-up questions if that's okay. Um, first of all, Serena Higgins would like to know if you had to do any philology in order to complete your thesis, or was your examination of it as a theme or a character thread? Yes, um, I had to do some, and it was more related to to words dealing with longing. I had to go to how does how is this word used in the Anglo-Saxon across multiple texts and. Um, stuff like that. So I I did not do a lot of the sound shift stuff that the philologists do. I asked people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but when it came to comparing word usage and uh, evolution of the word in texts, I did do some of that, like with Fsith and uh, Longath and... Uh, just stuff related to the uh, album poems mainly. Um, and then uh, the names like Bliss and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, 
so I had to do some. And also, I knew that I wanted to do this throughout most of my Signum MA. So a lot of my language courses, I turned my papers into kind of mini, mini research assignments for this. So I was able to look back on a lot of work that I had done throughout my MA um, to use in this. Mm -hmm. But most of it ended up being thematic. What got into my thesis was more the thematic thread of it because there was just so much to cover. And I needed, like, I felt like there was this seed that I needed to plant about the text before any of these other research topics could come up. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, another follow up from Joe Hoffman, who wants to know if you think Tolkien thought of philology as a science? Yes, I address that in my thesis and I quote a few of his letters where he says that he does. Okay, so um, can you remember anything specific about that with it being a science that makes that important to um, your study? Uh, yeah, um, the first point of my thesis is all setting up how the fragments are pretty good examples of the scientific romance genre. Um, so the first point is kind of like a genre study, um, but that relies on treating philology as a science. Um, so scientific romance is not like science fiction and that science fiction, uh, the science is almost the end, um, but with scientific romance, the science or pseudoscience uh, is a means to for rhetorical ends uh, to talk about belief or something ideological, um, but to classify it as scientific romance, there has to be something that is a scientific vehicle. So the vehicle mm -hmm. is really important in scientific romance, and that Tolkien viewed philology as a vehicle uh, plays out in this text and plays out in the rest of the work he did. Um, philology is always a means to an end for him. Okay, thanks, Jen. Um, okay, now you a moment ago you mentioned about how some of your studies of philology didn't make it into your thesis because you just had so much thing, so many things to cover, so much to do, um, and obviously you had to make some choices. I think along the way we talked about how you were going to have to occasionally. I think the phrase was "kill your darlings." Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah, painful as that was. Um, so during the process, you actually had quite a few ideas that you wanted to include, but for one reason or another, you had to leave them out. Um, yeah. Could you give us a few examples of the ones that you were most excited about, most saddened by having to leave out and, and why you ended up having to leave them out? Yeah, yeah, and this, Anybody who's about to do an MA thesis soon at Signum, listen up, because this is going to be painful, but it's going to help. Um, uh, <laughs> my entire idea originally for the thesis was to do kind of like a hyperlinked uh, annotation of the text of The Lost Road, because my first problem that I met with The Lost Road was that I didn't know who the Lombards were well enough to really interact with the text. I didn't know all of these different um, historical references that Tolkien was making. And so I wanted to understand why Tolkien was using those historical contexts to communicate what he was communicating about mortality. So my idea was, oh, I'm gonna do this vast historical research. I'm gonna get a friend to draw maps for me. And it's gonna be like this interactive multimedia thing <laughs> where I'll suddenly make the last road accessible for moderns who don't have to know Latin and Greek and old German and whatnot and who don't really need to know history anymore, but like that's a rant. Um, so I, that was a darling that I had to kill and that was my thesis. I basically had to kill my thesis um, because <laughs> for so many reasons, for copyright reasons, for time reasons, for sanity reasons, um, it was just too broad. I still want to do that someday, but I realized, you know, you have to eat the elephant one piece at a time and that was, the whole elephant. Um, so uh, that was the first darling I had to kill. And then I wandered aimlessly for a while. And the then I thought, okay, I can't do the historical context. 
like all of all of those historical settings Tolkien was talking about. But what about the modern context, like the context of the text itself, like a, I don't know, a, a very soft version of new historicism, I don't know. So I, I come to the text wanting to talk about um, the family structure, like I mentioned earlier that, that Dr. Shippey recommended an excellent book about that. Um, and then the uh, Cambridge critics, so, so the critical, the uh, creative and the, uh, I guess the, yeah, the critical creative and something other, it was another C, it alliterated, it was great. But um, that had to go by the wayside too, because uh, there was just too much to study. I read 25 books in 31 days in order to create this genre uh, section that Tolkien is, this genre conversation that Tolkien is joining. I wanted to do a whole study of that genre. What what are those books saying? Uh, how are they communicating it? How is Tolkien joining this in structure form uh, content? And I couldn't do that. It's It still helped my thesis. Um, that's mainly point one, but from a more critical perspective, uh, perspective than a this is these are all the books that I read and let's get into the texts um so yeah I spent a month reading 25 books that never made it into my thesis and but knowledge I, is never wasted right no and I found some favorite authors now and again like everything you cut out of your thesis can still make it into a conference presentation 10 years down the road you know there there always there's always more time for more projects mm-hmm yeah and um as we have discussed, <coughs> PhD thesis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll yeah, not it's... terrify you about that today, though. No, no, focus. <laughs> okay. Um. So I'm coming back to the question board, and we're, I want to come back to philology um, a yeah. little bit because Matthew DeForest has a follow-up question about philosophy as science, ah. um, and he says, "What does Tolkien set as the contrast to science?" Is it art or is it the threefold division of the modern academy, sciences, social sciences, and humanities? Right. Ah, that's a really, really good question for this thesis. So I find, at least, that in The Lost Road and in the Notion Club papers, Tolkien tears those distinctions apart. He would say that the science is the story and is the society. Um, and that's kind of the that that is the premise for how philology is a vehicle. That's why he loved philologies because he blew that out of the water. Um, philology does uh, because you have to have a scientific approach in order to know the history of mankind in order to get at the meaning of any given story. Um, so that's how philology arrives at meaning immortality. So um, actually, yeah, the second point of my thesis is basically. I mean, I wouldn't have framed it that way, but now that you're asking that question, it's basically doing that. It's showing that for Tolkien, philology was important because it did not distinguish between the scientific and ideological or the scientific and the story. They had mm -hmm. to go together or else you would not get the point. Okay, so that they're they're all together in order to actually make the story in the first place. Right, like there's this there's this long dialogue between Alwyn and his father Oswin about, or is it Oswin and Alwyn now? Oh, I need to go check. You go check. Um, that that Alwyn is saying he's not all bone. He's not just uh, anthropology um, or uh, geology. His father is saying, oh, what, what, what will you study to make money and still do what you love? Like you should go into history and whatever. And Alban is like, but I, I don't just want the one or the other. I need the story. I need the science. I need the research. I need the, the, um, language and the visualization. I need it all in order to get at what I'm trying to get at, in order to fill this longing that's in me to see the past. So that's like right there, Tolkien is bringing all of those disciplines together and saying philology encompasses it all. Mm -hmm. And you need it all in order to do what philology really does. Okay, um, we're gonna stick with 
talking about philology just for a moment because um, Serena Higgins wants to get to the heart of what the relationship is between uh, philology and mortality. Ooh, that siren is loud. Sorry. That, no, we'll just give that a moment to go by. That's it. Now we can all hear without our ears bleeding. Um, I'll just repeat the question because that yeah. was very yeah. loud. Um, we want to get to the heart of what is the relationship between philology, which you're placing front and centre, because you're saying mm -hmm. that this is what Tolkien said was at the heart of everything. Mm -hmm. um, what's the relationship between that and his concepts of mortality? Right. Um, loss and longing play a huge part in the connection. So, um, and I had to dive into Owen Barfield's work on linguistics a lot of, of language theory, really, uh, to to address this. And also, okay. um, uh, Andrew Higgins and Mitra Femi's A Secret Vice that came out just in time for my thesis um, was invaluable in order to create this connection um, in a scholarly way. Uh, so basically, the link of philology to mortality is that uh, mortality in itself creates a sense of loss and longing in all mortals. And that's mm -hmm. addressed in the third point of the thesis. Um, and philology is a means, again, that the vehicle of philology uh, is, is a means to start repairing that loss by taking you back to the beginning. And back to the beginning is not, um, just a time travel thing it's a uh, meaning travel thing so going back for Tolkien is going to the center um to what words really meant to what our purpose is here and and that's why the first point is setting it up as a scientific romance because scientific romance as part of its genre structure usually travels to the future in order to find cosmological and individual meaning but Tolkien classic Tolkien travels to the past instead through language um so, yeah, philology is the science that Tolkien uses and supports to get at the meaning of life. And mm -hmm. to understand mortality is to understand the meaning of life. Um, and so that that I think would be the connection. And I mean, I could go on forever about Barfield's work in this, um, where he actually has like a, you go back to the beginning of language and you actually have the object and the word combining mm -hmm. and so all of history is is this going like this and then coming back like this into a fuller better realer version more real version of the world um and Tolkien didn't fully ride with that theory I don't think but he used a lot of it and supported a lot of it so second point covers that a lot okay well what aspects of Barfield's um idea there does Tolkien not go for completely I am not sure that Tolkien supported the uh history of cosmology that mm -hmm. Barfield created with his language theory um Tolkien was a very good orthodox Roman Catholic and he had a very uh uh Christ-centered in a Roman Catholic way approach to history. Mm -hmm. um, Barfield was a little bit more loosey-goosey. <laughs> um, and he still is Christocentric, but in a very strange way that has to do like solely with language. And I think Tolkien, and I address this too, um, with Tolkien's wartime experience, with his relationship to the... Uh, to his first literary club, um, he, he had, I think, a broader, more realistic view of history than Barfield did, which was very, very um, mental and, and, like, I mean, idealistic, really affected by anthroposophy and all that. Tolkien didn't have any of that. He was just classic mm -hmm. Roman Catholic. This is history. This is the point. Um, the cross and sanctification and stuff. So, yeah, I don't think that he would approve of the overall historical structure that Barfield imposed on language. Mm -hmm. But the idea of stories become more alive the further you go back because language 
has a more direct connection to meaning. Like sign and symbol are more joined the further you go back. Um, he he definitely ran with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, right, so um, a few moments ago, you talked about how you had to get rid of some of your more exciting ideas that you were very sad to get rid of but this is what happens with a thesis but kind of looking at it from a slightly different perspective you have your thesis now it is complete if you were going to take this thesis as a starting point and you were going to expand it um having chosen the directions that you've chosen and, and got rid of those other ideas and this is the way you're going how would you choose to expand that thesis? Where would you go with it? Right. Um, well, the end of the thesis addresses, okay, given all of this, what is mortality for Tolkien and how is that um, applied to mortals then? Um, so I would take that and then go back in those historical settings that I was wanting to work on at the beginning, I'd go, I, I would want to go back to those historical settings and then see, okay, how does, how does this concept of mortality play into the choice of Tolkien to set this story in this historical context? What about the historical context compelled Tolkien to it? What were the wars going on there? Like, again, this interwar context is pretty huge. Um, so what was, what was the sense of mortality according to the philological, according to the text we have now about that historical context? Then how do we take Tolkien's idea of mortality and apply it there? Um, I think that would be super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and it would almost be finishing the chapters that Tolkien didn't finish in The Lost Road. Mm -hmm. um, so that that would be one way. And then I would, I would want to, um, see the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers as scientific romances in their full right, then dialoguing with other scientific romance works, um, more specifically, because um, I wasn't able to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I okay. think, yeah. So what other scientific romance works would you actually work with if you were expanding the thesis? Um, Wells, I would, I would, I would like to look at the different vehicles used, like Wells' time machine, because that's mentioned um, many times in both texts. Uh, so comparing philology as a vehicle to uh, Wells' more machinated vehicle, I mean, that comes mm -hmm. up in the thesis a little bit, but there could be so much more done uh, on that. Um, Dr. Shippey recommended John Buchan. Uh, mm -hmm. So there there are a few um, stories that Buchan wrote. And I don't know, I still don't know if I'm saying his last name right. So anyone who's heard me before is used to my pronunciation problems. <laughs> um, but he, he, uh, he wrote a dream travel story, a few of them actually, and a few time travel stories that deal with the dream theory the same mm -hmm. dream theory text that Tolkien was using. So, um, and his work has to do with providence and fate and free will in a very, uh, dealing with the same topics that Tolkien did in these texts. So I would love to see a study of the two scientific romances in regards to providence and fate. Um, mm -hmm. Because with this thesis, they're on the same genre level. Okay, so in other words, you feel that there would be um, room for expansion of this thesis, that there's there's more to do. Yeah, that's why I did it. <laughs> that's why I started. <laughs> yeah. is, is that a good thing to, um, I mean, you, you go about the process and you think, okay, I'm going to write this thesis, I'm going to complete this essay, but then to get hold of the idea that actually this is kind of a starting point rather than a, this is a complete piece of work. Is that an exciting thing or is that like, oh my goodness, you never ever finish? 
Well, I don't think people really feel that way about Tolkien's Legendarium. I mean, the mm -hmm. exciting part of it is that it's never done. Um, and that's the exciting part of research is there's always more to do. If you're exploring a, a road that suddenly ends, it's probably because you were walking down the wrong one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I'm going to turn to the question board now and uh, have a look here. We've got a few questions. Um, so Serena, first of all, wants to know, uh, if you played the match up the inkling game with the notion club papers characters ah, ah, ah. um i was uh, like i said i'd been working on this for about a year so i had a lot of time before actually doing the work to play around there i had been told enough times in writing and in person to not totally do that um and honestly, the more that I read about Tolkien, the more I read his letters and his works, I could see that there were little scraps of Tolkien in each one of the characters. So it's like, forget mm -hmm. it. I mean, there might be, there There probably are a few here and yeah, I see that. And But Tolkien couldn't get away from himself, really. Um, <laughs> I don't think like, so So it was, it was fun and fruitful to a certain point. And then you just realize, no, Tolkien's just needing to get every little bit of himself out there in order to communicate what he's saying. <laughs> what so he hang on, every single character in the Notion Club papers is a Tolkien Mary Sue? Uh, I think there is, there is a certain element of truth in that, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also just things that he hated and needed to put in someone's mouth. Um, mm -hmm. He needed to get a good dialogue going and he saw that happening in the Inklings meetings. And so I think there's a really good, like obviously the Notion Club papers that the meetings are based on Inklings meetings. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was more that structure that he was copying and not necessarily the people themselves. There are a few times where he's clearly poking fun at some Inklings characters, but to then try to uh, take that and apply one-to-one matchups, I don't think actually works in the end. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they were such inside jokes that the Inklings themselves would, uh, would be the only ones to recognize Oh, I think so. There was, I'm trying to remember which text it was, but this was a rabbit hole I had to leave, but it was a really good rabbit hole, um, where Lewis and Tolkien had been writing notes on each other's works. Um, and they, he, if you study those notes, um, there's actually a copy of that in the intro to the Notion Club papers. So there's a lot of referencing to behind the scenes editing mm -hmm. that was going on in the Inklings. And that's hilarious. Like, that's just really funny. But like, you kind of have to be insane to go back and read all of that and then draw it out in the story. And you'd have to have your own paper about just that in order to do all the research required. Like, become an Inkling to get all the inside jokes. Like, <laughs> there's another project for you. Uh, um one for another time i think right okay um so sticking with the uh, texts themselves that you chose to work with um and of course as you've mentioned a few times they are unfinished they were abandoned by the author um so serena higgins would like to know what you feel are the potential scholarly pitfalls of studying an unfinished or abandoned work? Um, right. How do you avoid the intentional fallacy or speculation about how it might have been finished while also honoring the fact that the author turned away from the work? Uh, right. Um, with Tolkien, scholars are blessed to have a ton of letters and a ton of works to compare them to, uh, works to compare works to. Um, mm -hmm. So Tolkien Studies has a really good framework for um, seeing where a plot trajectory was going mm -hmm. um, and supporting letters. So uh, again, first point of thesis, there is a lot of Lewis Tolkien dialogue on where the works were going. Um, so and Tolkien left a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. uh, for further work. So if, if I didn't have those things, I wouldn't feel comfortable really approaching these fragments in the way that I did. Um, so basically, 
the short answer to that is I feel comfortable doing what I did because Tolkien told me what he was doing. <clears throat> um, but so, so the way to avoid, I'd say the intentional fallacy um, and just imposing your own thoughts on the text is to stick with what the authors said about the text. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of speculation as to why Tolkien abandoned these texts, and that would be another really good topic for expansion that Dr. Shippey and I discussed. Um, and but but that gets deeply into biography as well. It's it's a really huge world of speculation that many people have weighed in on. Actually, like if there's one topic that people will talk about in the Lost Road, it's why did he finish it? <laughs> oh, I mean, why did he not finish it? And I didn't feel comfortable going there because I don't have enough to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So that is one of those uh, potential scholarly pitfalls then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there are pretty good theories out there. And um, I'm sure that some or all of them are true in one way or another. But I can't, as a scholar, come down and say this is why he, he didn't finish it. So I didn't go there. Mm -hmm. So within your thesis, you stuck very closely to the actual words given us by Tolkien, yeah. but you drew on Christopher Tolkien's notes to help as well. Yeah, yeah, because he has manuscripts we don't. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and he, he lived through Tolkien's writing process. So um, there there's that. And then also the letters, like Tolkien's letters. He, he talks to a bunch of people. Uh, about mortality and about the Lost Road fragment. And honestly, it remains somewhat, you know, surprisingly consistent throughout many decades of discussing it. There are a few date discrepancies and whatnot, but as far as the heart behind the texts um, and what his aim was, it stayed pretty consistent. So I felt comfortable going with that. Okay. Um so a little while ago, you talked about how you, if you could expand your thesis, you would like to look at other scientific romances um, of that time. Uh, question from the lovely Sparrow Alden. She says, would you consider examining a wrinkle in time among those works? Um, because Madeleine Lengel's deep faith is also expressed in her writing, although I realize she was decades after The Lost Road. So they're not contemporary texts. But is there an argument to be made for looking at texts that are not necessarily contemporary as well? Yeah, I think so. If you made a good genre study argument, um, mm. then yeah, then you can then you can use the structure of the genre as your guideline rather than just the historical context. But you'd have to um include the historical difference in your mm -hmm. scholarship um if you skipped that i think it would be bad scholarship because mm -hmm. um, there would be change there would have to be changes in the genre um because you're you're communicating from a different perspective to a different audience so yeah i, d I don't think it would be bad to do a comparison as long as you kept that in mind mm -hmm. And that that was uh, fully explored as being part of how you were uh, part of how you were um, looking at these texts together. That um, you've got those that are contemporary, and then you've got those that are not, and and how that uh, that conversation between the texts therefore must of necessity be slightly different. Right. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, you can draw the philological parallel if you're not going to go to a text an English text a thousand years ago and come with all your modern ideas. Uh, you have to take account all of the time change in language and in culture. So that applies to a shorter time period too, I think. Mm -hmm. like, like in the Notion Club papers, they talk about the change in meanings of words in a decade. Um, so yeah, you'd have to take account even the the what words mean is different 20 mm -hmm. years yeah uh, uh, particularly when you have philology at the heart of one of those texts yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and of course there's also the fact that um tolkien's um tolkien's work is exploring time travel in a very particular way and for very particular reasons mm -hmm. um 
whereas a wrinkle in time although it's also exploring time travel it's coming at it from a slightly different aspect isn't it i, I presume you're familiar with the work yeah i i read it a few years ago so i'm i'm pretty rusty on being able to do a scholarly comparison right now but okay. from what i remember there are a lot of differences as to the purposes of the book. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'd love to see what Sparrow does with it. Uh huh. You'd <laughs> know better. I got you, Sparrow Eldon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, excellent. Okay, Jen. So, um, we've heard quite a lot about the thesis now and uh, all the ideas that you were exploring. What do you think, just to sort of draw all of this together, what do you think you have learned or gained from the process of writing this master's thesis? Right, okay. Um, first it has to do more with the content of the thesis itself. I felt very grateful throughout the whole process that I never got sick of my topic. And I think that's because I was learning a lot from the topic itself, like mm -hmm. studying mortality um, and different approaches to the hope or despair that comes from dealing with something that all of us have to deal with um, was really powerful for me. In uh, the third point of the thesis, which I, we didn't really talk about that much, um, is where it all comes together uh, to talk about the hope that Tolkien was able to derive from the fact that mortality exists um as opposed to the opposite conclusion or at least the um desperate conclusion that was being uh, arrived at by the other scientific romance writers who were a lot more materialistic um so i learned a lot from that like just personal gain so mm -hmm. one thing i learned through that about the thesis process is if you can try to pick a topic that's going to do you good, <laughs> like um, that is actually going to influence you as a person in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one thing I learned from the process because because the writing and the research is hard and it, it gets tiring. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you want to have a reason to stay. Um, and then about the thesis process itself, the I think the biggest thing I learned and the advice I'd give if people were asking me about it would be to embrace the process. Um, like, don't be afraid of the thesis process. You're gonna go in with one idea and come out with another. Mm. And that's not a failure, that's a good thing. Um, you have to let the research, the you have to let the research shape your work. Um, and you have to kind of submit yourself to the research. Uh, so you want to go in with a strong outline of what you're looking at, uh, what your goals are, but that outline, while it needs to remain strong, is going to change. Um, and probably almost probably 100% it's going to get a lot smaller. Um, mm -hmm. So you are going to start with way more content that you could ever do. <laughs> so don't be afraid of having to say goodbye to a lot of things. Um, it's like you want to find your nugget and present your nugget. Yeah. 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 So the main piece of advice that you would offer to anybody else who is facing this is to just go with the process. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't. Like I, specifically for Signum students too, like early in the program, start thinking about what you wanna do um, for your thesis because I used, a, I drew a lot of material from stuff that I had done throughout coursework um, because by the time I sat down to write my thesis, that was actually a pretty quick process because it was like just, entrenched in here it had become a part of my brain mm -hmm. um so you you i would say you want that to happen in your research process so if you can make your research process as long as possible uh that that would be really good um 
so yeah, because because that that way you know what what the material is doing to you and to your topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of coming towards the end of this thesis chat now, um, unless there are uh, more questions to pop into the question box. Um, before I ask you the last question that I have, Sparrow would just like to tell you that she sees an excellent Raimundo Alden collaboration in the future. Yay, you do the spreadsheets, Sparrow. <laughs> oh yes, yes, the, the queen of the spreadsheets, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I am down for that. Okay. Um, what, what for you was the most enjoyable aspect of the thesis process? Yeah. And please feel free to say working with me because that's absolutely fine. Okay, like we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but students <laughs> love your thesis director. Like Dr. Brown was amazing. Um, okay, okay, I was joking. Like we talked about Dr. Tippy, but Dr. Brown was with, was with me every step of the way, and we'd have to discuss all of Dr. Tippy's suggestions and figure out uh, what to go with and what not to go with for this particular context. And she was my brain for a lot of it. So the little um, bit of brain I have left. No, she has a ton of brain left. Do not listen to her. <laughs> Actually, that was uh, that's the most. Um, it, exciting and interesting and enjoyable aspect of uh, doing the thesis process actually with the student is getting to talk about things that I really like talking about like Tolkien and nobody else kind of <laughs> listens to me about Tolkien but having somebody who is oh well you know nobody at home I think oh. they just tune out the word Tolkien comes up and they just tune out but yeah. uh, yes that so the conversations, awesome. the con having conversations about your thesis is yeah. one of the, the best things about actually doing it. Definitely. And then mm. I think uh, the other thing I really enjoyed was um, the research doors that opened for me. I found texts that I never would have found. Um, I found a few new favorite authors. I got to understand way more about early 20th century Britain than I ever imagined I ever would, but I loved it. Um, so, so I think that, and, and then also reading parts of Tolkien uh, that I probably wouldn't have done were it not for this. And I mean, it's Tolkien. There are amazingly beautiful passages I would have skipped out on. Um, so yeah, I think the research process is often the most overwhelming part, mm -hmm. but it gave so much joy back so yeah don't be afraid of the research process okay so i'm just turning to the question board now um to come towards the end of the uh, this thesis chat and we have a question from richard cornell mm -hmm. and he says i know that death as a gift of iluvatar is a major theme in the silmarillion mm -hmm. does the idea of death or mortality as a gift show up in the notion club papers and any of the other texts that you examined yep yeah and that's my third point so yeah like that that is where tolkien um goes in his philological study in the lost road and the notion club papers that's where the poems he was linking to went um and it's a lot more nuanced than just saying, oh, death is a gift, let's all die. Like there's, he has the struggle, he has the despair, he has the hope, um, he has the reasons for why he's seeing it the way he is. Um, so yeah, the third point explores that in the texts themselves, but in relation to the other texts where Tolkien brings that up specifically. Um, so yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Um, okay. I don't think there's any, no, there's no more questions in the question box for you. So now you can relax. Thank you ever so much, Jen. Um, it has been very interesting hearing your answers to these questions. I hope that uh, everybody who's joined us today and anybody who watches this in the future uh, feels that they've gained 
a lot from hearing all about your work as well. Um, Sparrow would like me to pass on, and Kate Neville would like me to pass on congratulations to you. And those congratulations are well deserved because you had a lot of obstacles in your way to get to the end with your health, et cetera, et cetera. And you just came through it. So thank you ever so much for persevering and for working with me. It really has oh, been you. fantastic. Thank you yeah. for mothering me through the process. <laughs> Just call me Dr. Mom. <laughs> oh, and thanks everyone to the Signum community though too. Like at every level, you guys were helping me out. So I could not have done this without you. So thank you. Signum forever, waves flag, absolutely. Brenton Dickinson is passing on also. We're very proud of you, Jen, awesome job. And that is absolutely right. You have Thank throughout you. this process done an awesome job. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you everybody who has joined us today. Uh, and I hope that you have enjoyed this session as much as I have. Um, and um, I'll close down this session now. And that's everything. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye.